The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are my own or those of my guests, and in no way represent the views of the company or companies that I or we work for. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they are told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Identity. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast dedicated to the journey and the challenges surrounding the life and career of Aviator Tony and his guests. Together, we will explore the many pathways to an aviation profession, the realities of what a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, an airline pilot currently flying for a legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. This is episode 24 of Squawk Ident, recorded on the 8th of February, 2020, from the Aviator Sound Studios somewhere in Southern California. On this episode of Squawk Ident, I'm joined by Kelly Miller. She is a doctor of pharmacology, a pilot, and a friend. Together, we will discuss the current risk factors to flight crews and passengers alike while flying within the U.S., as it pertains to the 2019 novel coronavirus and the best practices to prevention. We will also find out about the Miller Results Group. And, of course, we hear a little bit about the journey Miss Miller has navigated. All this and more on this episode of Squawk Ident. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Right after a brief word from our sponsors. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Well, I am very happy to be able to bring to you on Squawk Ident today a very special person, a very dear friend, and a former flight student. I am privileged in being joined by someone who has been a constant in my journey so far. Anytime I have a question about anything medical, I go directly to her for the answer. She is a graduate from Drake University with a bachelor's in pharmacy. She also graduated from University of Colorado Denver with a PharmD degree. She's practiced in Iowa, Arizona, Florida, North Carolina, and is currently a co-owner and co-founder of Miller Results Group. Joining us from her chateau in Tampa Bay, Florida, please help us in welcoming to the show, Ms. Kelly Miller. Kelly, how are you? It's so good to have you on the show. I'm great. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't it? So, (laughs) you know, here on Squawk Ident, I I am absolutely honored in the fact that you have been following the show 
and supporting me. You've been supporting me for years. Uh, we've known each other since somewhere around 2005. 2005. Yeah. yeah. So 15 years. And uh, we've... About 15 years? 15 years. Oh. Okay. Yep. yep. Yeah. So we were, we were very young, very young when we first met. Uh, Kelly walked into the flight school one day in uh, Chandler, Arizona, and said, I want to get flying lessons. And I had the privilege of uh, being the one selected to give her some flying lessons. And she is a GA pilot with 120 hours and growing, I hope. Are you still building on time? Maybe in the future? Uh, Maybe in the future. It's on hold for the moment. Yeah. Well, you've been very, very busy. And, you know, we kind of keep up here and there with conversations and emails and, and cards and, and, you know, you and your husband, Joe, have just been a pleasure to have uh, in our circle. And I'm very honored to call you guys dear friends. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. The reason that I asked you onto the show was because in our last episode of Squawk Ident, Rob D and I uh, had a conversation about all of this coronavirus. Uh, media frenzy that's going on. And uh, one of the events that happened to me was I, on my last trip, I got into the flight ops and I was looking on my phone and I'm watching video after video on different platforms via social media, YouTube, uh, even, you know, CNN.com or Fox.com, whatever news I was looking at, I was scrolling through quite a bit to try to get content, obviously for the show. And, you know, video after video of these government organizations or city organizations spraying people down, passengers down as they're exiting aircraft, you know, with some kind of antiviral, whatever they're using to spray. And it freaked me out a little bit. And the captain next to me, she was getting ready to go to Auckland. And she's like, oh, yeah, they they sprayed us here at Legacy Airlines as well. Uh, When we land, they spray (laughs) us down, you know. With what? (laughs) You know, she named the the chemical that they use, the the drug, whatever they're using, the chemical. Um, yeah. some biological antiviral that they're spraying down. If I find the video, I'll send it to you. Um, okay. I have no idea. It was, I, I believe it was Indonesian air, something okay. like that. Yeah. So I saw it, a photo of somebody being sprayed in the face with no goggles or anything. Um, and I just kind of stared at it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I thought, what is that? You know, and these videos are not helping you know, us, at least here in the United States uh, or North America, I should say, uh, in giving us really the facts. And, and they're right. really, it's fear-mongering. It's, in my opinion, you know, it's a very serious virus that is, you know, spreading out. We hear the numbers every day. Every news cycle has it. How many people are dead? How many people are infected? And, and you know, I got to admit, I got into the cockpit and right away I took those alcohol wipes that we have. We tear the packages open and, you know, they're there for our safety to prevent, you know, germs and common cold flu virus and stuff like that. We wipe down the control to the aircraft in the cockpit. It is the shared space. I mean, that airplane might fly 10 times a day with 10 flight yeah. crews and, you know, you don't know who was just in there if they were not feeling well or whatnot. So they're there for our protection. Uh, but I got to admit, I'm not I'm not very consistent with wiping everything down because uh, part of that is complacency. And another part of it is, you know, it's just, it's not in the public realm. It's pilots. And and most of the pilots I know, if they're sick, any excuse to stay home, (laughs) they're going to call in sick and stay home. It's a paid sick. So, you know, why would you go to work if you're not feeling up to it? 
And I just, I want to kind of set the record straight. So that's why I've asked you to come onto the show and you've been very gracious to accept my invitation. And I thank you for that. Of course. Yeah. So here, the CDC, the latest that, you know, I came across was an article that was published yesterday and they talked about, um, you know, how this coronavirus safety measures at these major international airports are being ramped up rapidly. Um, And in an article that um, I'll reference in the show notes, but in an article by one of the websites I follow called airporttechnology.com, an article by Previn Dudu, D-U-D-D-U, he uh, wrote in an article published yesterday that some of the major and busiest international airports in the world started announcing preventative safety measures against the spread of coronavirus after its outbreak in China and the quick spread to 25 more countries. The virus was first found, as we all know, in Wuhan, a place I had never heard of before the story broke out about a week and a half ago, and the capital. Um, It's the most populated city in the Hubei province in central China and has been spreading at a rapid pace despite various preventative measures being taken by the Chinese authorities. The deaths caused by the 2019 novel coronavirus, or known as the 2019 NCOV, uh, have been increasing at a rapid pace from the mere two reported initially to 170 in less than a month. The reported deaths uh, due to this uh, infection more than doubled in four days to 362 by the 2nd of February, and they reached 493 as of the 5th of February. International passengers traveling from China are naturally the biggest risk to the countries they arrive to. The U.S. Department of State has issued a level four travel advisory to China, meaning that the public is not advised to travel to China. Earlier, the CDC issued a level three recommendation to avoid travel unless essential to Wuhan and a level two warning to the rest of China. But given the fast pace, the CDC revised the travel warning to a level three. So here in the U.S., we're watching these you know, news articles. We're seeing all this stuff on social media, these videos. And, you know, I am not a medical professional. I uh, would never claim to be even knowledgeable. I'm constantly, you know, if I have a question, I do my best to do my due diligence, look things up on the internet, uh, you know, WebMD. You know, of course, mm-hmm. if you go to WebMD, every symptom you have means you're dying. Um, so, so, you know, I come to you for the truth. You know, whenever, whenever I have a question, I can't find the answer. I, you know, I know you're a text message away. You've been, always been so kind and so good to get back to me. So really what I wanted to talk to you about is what can we be doing or what should we be doing here in the U.S., in your opinion, uh, to help prevent the spread? Is there... Should we be wearing masks? Should we we be isolating ourselves and not traveling? Or what's going on? Uh, I think the first thing is do not panic. Um, the risk to most U.S. citizens is very very low, so if if existent at all. Um, so I think that's number one. Number two, uh, it is a virus. Um, so it is related to SARS. It's related to MERS, which is the Middle Eastern um, version of SARS that came out a few years ago. Mm. Uh, it's also related to the common cold. Um, 
with this particular virus, it can develop into a pneumonia, which is basically fluid in your lungs, and can progress further than that. Uh, as far as what you can do to prevent it, um, I would say the biggest thing is wash your hands. So mm -hmm. wash your hands with soap and water as much as you can, 20 seconds each time. So that's essentially happy birthday twice. So happy birthday to me, happy birthday to me. Um, you know, sing that twice yeah. and then dry off and be careful what you touch, you know, like the bathroom door, that kind of thing. If you can walk out with your paper towel and you can open the door with your paper towel and throw it away in the bin on your way out. Yeah. Good. Um, if you can't be somewhere where you can actually wash your hands with soap and water, then an alcohol based sanitizer is best. It has to be at least 60% alcohol to kill cold viruses. Uh, they don't know a whole lot about this coronavirus yet, but they are extrapolating from SARS cold viruses, other things that we do know about and how they behave because they are similar. So um, not to make assumptions, but those would be the things that I would do preventatively because we don't know anymore. Yeah. Um, they, they don't know so far how long it can remain viable on surfaces. So wiping down the cockpit, like you said, I would totally be doing that. 60% or more alcohol. So your isopropyl alcohol uh, ranges between 70% and 91%. Mm -hmm. Any of those will work. Um, wipe down everything. I, I would be more diligent, um, but not so much because I think you're going to you know, contract coronavirus, but influenza um, or a common cold or anything else. You know, I, Unfortunately, if you go to Japan, you see the planes there are just immaculate. You know, they, they clean between flights and all of this stuff. Here, they don't. So like yeah. the tray tables and everything are just grungy. You don't know who was sitting there. You don't know who sneezed on your tray table. Most people don't wipe those down. And keep in mind that nobody else is wiping them down either. So, um, you know, just take those types of precautions. <laughs> yeah. So I, I would be wiping things down with alcohol. Yes. Um, other than that, if you feel under the weather, wearing a mask is probably a good idea. In fact, I think that is recommended. And that can be, you know, your, your basic mask off of Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, if you are trying to prevent someone from giving you coronavirus, an N95 mask is really the only thing that's going to filter out particles that are that small. So the the masks that are that you can buy off of Amazon that do not have an N95 rating are probably doing very little for you as far as protecting you from someone else but they will protect other people from you sneezing, you coughing, you distributing large particles around to other people. Yeah. So if you're under um, the weather and you're traveling, yeah, and, you know, that's you a good have idea. To travel? Yeah. Yeah, if you if you don't have to travel, don't be there. Um, right. but if you do have to travel and you're under the weather, yeah, by all means wear a mask. Yeah. It's but it's not going to, it's not going to, you got to go to CVS and buy an over the counter mask. That's not an N95. 
not Correct. fitting you, per, you know, professionally looked at and to make sure it's fitting you correctly and then handled correctly. Because now if you're touching that mask to take it up, to go drink a glass of water and then you put it back down, I mean, yeah. you know, it, it's not really a sterile environment and right. you're all you're doing, <laughs> you lift up the mask and the minute you lift up the mask, you kind of defeat the purpose if you're in that high risk environment. Exactly. So no, it's so good to hear. Yeah, if you were going into, um, so in a hospital, we're all fitted with an N95 mask. And basically there are three, I think, sizes. There's a small, there's a regular, and then there's a large. So depending on the size of your face and whether your face is more round or more you know, lengthened, um, you fit it around your nose and mouth like this. And then you try to make a seal so that if you breathe in, it actually you know, you feel the suction. Mm. Then, um, what I have experienced as far as being fitted, they put a hood over your head. So a big, you know, hood like this, Mm -hmm. and then they will aerosolize saccharin into that bigger hood. If you can taste the saccharin, you don't have a good seal. So your, your mask isn't fitting correctly. If you can't take taste the saccharin and they give it, you know, 90 seconds or so then. So if you don't taste that sweetness, then you're good to go. Hmm. Um, another thing that happens in the hospital is that if someone has, um, aerosolized precautions, they're going to be in a room that has negative pressure. So the, uh, the air conditioner system will be pulling air into the room from the hallway rather than pushing it out. And that vents directly to the outside. Uh-huh. So um, if you go in that room and you are a healthcare professional and you're caring for that patient, you're not going to take that mask off the mm-hmm. entire time you're in that room because right. um, you've just exposed yourself. But those are the precautions that they would actually take in the hospital to prevent anything that is 0.3 microns or larger from being inhaled by yeah, someone yeah. who's caring for someone else. Yeah. Um, so a mask that you can see through, um, you know, from CVS, you're not getting that 0.3 micron filtering at all. Yeah. So, so, you know, really the point of me really trying to get the word out is because I've heard so many people reach out um, either through the Squawk Ident social media with comments. I put up a question up there with a, it was a photo, you know, the myths versus the facts of the coronavirus. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, it, it, it had its flaws. You know, I didn't create it. Um, I, I borrowed it from the internet and put it out there to start a conversation. And a lot of the responses I had were, you know, it, it, it's kind of, they were saying, like, you know, don't be, don't be racist against, Asian people, because, you know, not all Asians are going to have, not all people from China are going to have this, obviously. Um, And not all people that have traveled in from China are going to have this. So don't immediately, Mm -hmm. you know, because we start to see this already. And a lot of the news outlets love to, to, to report on this. Oh yeah. You know, this, these people are, are, are being discriminated against. And of course that strikes a chord immediately, regardless of what we're trying to talk about here. It's like, oh, it's all BS. And you know, it's all just the media trying to go and, and sensationalize a story so that people will go out and spend money on stuff like masks and go around. And, but at the same time, you know, it's a real thing. It's a very serious virus. 
um, and it's important that we're aware of what's going on. But the numbers that are coming out of China and Taiwan, I mean, we've heard these stories that they've been altered, they've been faked, they've been changed, and numbers usually don't revert change after the fact. They're usually progressive numbers, right? So, oh, now right. we have five, now we have 10, we have 20. And these numbers yeah. are like really high numbers. Mm-hmm. Like how many people are dead now at 265 was the last thing I, I saw yesterday, I think. I don't know what today's numbers are, but or is it I saw thousands? 722 so from 722 China. from China. But I think we don't know because they don't necessarily, we don't know if they're reporting you know, accurately or not. Right. And we so. were talking a little bit earlier about, you know, here in the U.S., we have antivirals, we have, you know, some of the best medical uh, facilities, you know, in the world. And mm-hmm. what kind of facilities are they dealing with? You're, you know, I was reading earlier that uh, they were making makeshift hospitals, like, you know, out of buildings and stuff, because so many people are infected and trying to isolate them. What kind of medications could they possibly have? Do they have the modern medicine that we have? Do they have antivirals? Or are these people dying because they're simply treating them like they have a fever and, you know, get your rest and eat your chicken soup? I mean, what's going on? (laughs) Well, unfortunately, though, for coronavirus, antivirals don't consistently work. So the CDC doesn't have any recommendation for medication treatment. It's it's literally just supportive care. Mm -hmm. Um, So... It would be keeping someone hydrated, making sure their kidneys don't shut down. It would be um, making sure that you protect their airway. So, you know, if, if they need to go on a respirator or if they need oxygen, they're having trouble breathing, doing whatever you can to make sure that they continue breathing. Um, and then if they have fluid in their lungs and it's progressing, make sure that if they contract a bacteria while they're in the hospital, you get them on antibiotics for that. But Uh, as far as the virus itself, it basically has to run its course. Yeah. So really, is this really the seriousness of the coronavirus? Is it because we don't have any medication at this point in time to fight it directly? Part of it, yeah. Yeah. And so here as an aviator, you know, I'm always concerned about what's my risk factor? What's the risk factor of my crew? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the people that I may be jointly responsible for, for a period of time that I'm out. And, you know, even the other day, Julie was like, you know, when you come home, I think you should leave your bags in the garage and maybe you should like, start. I'm like, oh, come on, you know, I'm not even, I'm not going to China. I don't have any contact with anyone. I don't even really have contact in the terminal. I, I walk from one door to the another and I get in the airplane, I'm in the cockpit, I, you know, yeah. but I understand where that's coming from. And I, I absolutely you know, can feel the, not the panic, but the worry, you know, the concern. And as aviators, should we be at all concerned? I mean, unless you're physically going to China on a 777 international for whatever airline you you work for, I can understand you're, you're going into an area very close to where this epidemic is, you know, coming out from. Mm -hmm. But if you're not, it really what do you see as any risk factors? Is it something I should be worried about other than like what you mentioned, wiping stuff down for the common flu, common cold? Should Mm -hmm. I be worried? I would say according to what the CDC is reporting, uh, no, you have little to no exposure risk. Um, I would definitely keep checking back with the CDC 
and also with the World Health Organization. Those are going to be your two best information sites. Um, the other media, they they may get things right. They may get things wrong. They do like to sensationalize because that makes a great story. That's not to say they're doing it maliciously, but if you want the solid facts and what we actually know, cdc.gov and WHO um, are the two places that I would go to look. As of right now, the CDC is saying that if you are in the US, even as a pilot, and you are flying within the continental US, you have essentially no risk. Um, mm -hmm. If you are flying back and forth to China, and you have little to no contact with anyone in China, you know, you, you go to your hotel, you stay in your hotel room, you don't have any contact with anyone who appears to be ill, you're still at low risk and you are essentially self-monitoring. So you're watching for any signs of fever, any signs of cough or runny nose, any signs of shortness of breath or other difficulties with your respiratory system. And if you do develop something like that, then by all means report it. But um, if you go to the CDC, they're they're basically saying your risk is very low. Okay. So, and so, if let's say I'm on a trip and I mm -hmm. start to get the sniffles and I'm now running a fever of 101, and you yeah. know, and I and I happen to have walked through one of the major U.S. cities that are currently screening, like a JFK or Los Angeles, San Francisco, we've all started screening passengers coming in from China with the thermal uh, thermometers. Um, yeah. And, and let's just say I, you know, because it takes what twelve, fourteen days for incubation on this particular yeah. uh, virus. So they're estimating fourteen days. Yeah, yeah. So if I'm in contact with someone during that fourteen day period, is it like the movies where they touch my they touch my arm and uh, boom, I'm automatically infected? Or <laughs> how does this work? I mean, if I was in contact with someone who was in the incubation period, who had the virus. And they happened to, I stopped and had a conversation with them. What's the likelihood of me really catching it? Um, again, probably very low. Uh, that's where the hand washing comes in. Um, also, don't, uh, some people just habitually, you know, like they pull at their lip or they wipe their nose or they, you know, scratch their eye, something like that. Those types of things are probably the way that it's being transmitted. Mm. Um, and then also possibly surfaces, although they don't know that. It's it's airborne, so um, your two-foot radius. If somebody is actively ill and you know coughing on you, sneezing on you, that kind of thing, that would worry me, um, especially if they later turn up positive and then mm. you fall ill. Um, right. But... If they aren't showing any signs and you are doing your hygienic hand washing, et cetera, yeah. again, I think your your risk is very low. If you're just walking by someone in the airport, um, that's not enough contact to, okay. to be an issue. Yeah. So definitely there has to be like a sneeze, a cough, some kind of micro particle of, of you know, moisture, yeah. saliva droplet. has to be droplet of saliva. Yeah. Um, so not necessarily touch because, you know, unless they're, what, can it be transferred with like a handshake? If their hands are clean and my hands are clean? Potentially, yes, but we don't know that. 
Yeah. I mean, that, that is unknown at this point. But with other viruses, like a cold virus, yes. So they're, you know, that is a potential transmission. So coughing in your sleeve, or I see a lot of people, they pick up their t-shirt and they cough down their t-shirt and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Best best practice, not coughing in your hand, obviously. Um, right. I, I'm and then school. shaking someone else's. Yeah. Right. Well, <laughs> that's another show completely, which I'm sure would turn not just your stomach, but my listeners stomachs too and uh, yeah. i've kind of mentioned it before and i'd like to give it a little bit more detail in a future episode maybe but yeah. you know i'm in airports all the time and i can't tell you I go to the men's room and the guy next to me he just walks right out no hand washing whatsoever uh my Ew. favorite they come out of a stall and they come right out of the stall and no hand washing whatsoever and they walk right onto the airport in a public place and who knows that maybe they're the guy that walks right up to the next guy and says, Hey, how you doing? Let me shake your hand. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I fist bump. Are... Go ahead. <laughs> fist bump, fist bump. <laughs> no handshaking. Yeah, fist bump, elbow yeah. bump, or, or simply say, you know, I, I don't, I'm not shaking hands right now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I don't, you know, transmit anything. Um, right. a lot of physicians do not shake hands. Like yeah. you go into a room, you're not shaking hands with anybody in there because that's potentially transmitting whatever that patient has, you know, bacteria or otherwise. Yeah. So it's actually a better practice to, you know, just nicely say, you know, I prefer yeah. not to shake hands. I'll, you know, elbow bump you if you want me to, right. you know? Right. And that's so. a big deal because, you know, with each flight, we usually have a new crew. So the yeah. first thing you want to do is introduce yourself. I, I do my best. Yeah. Now, now, the captain's responsible for doing a pre-flight briefing. So uh, usually the captain will will get his or her tablet together with the flight plan and the weather. They'll Before boarding, they'll step into the galley in first class, have all the other flight attendants come up, and they'll introduce each other. Uh, and he'll say, okay, here's the flight. Uh, here's the routing. Here's the estimated time and route. And the weather might be bumpy here, might be bumpy there. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you have any questions, they go over kind of some security protocols uh, and then, you know, usually shake each other's hand, have a good day. You know, if you need anything, give me a call. And mm -hmm. so then, of course, you know, he or she gets in the cockpit. And so lately I've noticed a, a decrease in people offering up their hand. Yeah. And, you know, even I was on this last trip where I saw all these videos and I'm like, oh, is this really happening here? Is this I was like, uh, you know, I'm. I give you a fist bump, you know, <laughs> yeah. I hate to kind of be rude, but you have a very good point. And I've had been told that too. I'm, I'm not shaking hands right now. If you want to, you know, give you an elbow or something. Yeah. Um, but that's great. And, and unfortunately that's, that's the society we live in right now. Okay. So I wanted to actually spend a little time on your latest adventure with Joe, <laughs> uh, Miller results group. And it was very exciting to me to hear that here you are in the medical profession uh, and you guys together decided to co-found this company that kind of integrates software and personnel. And I want to give you the opportunity to to tell my listeners and, and actually tell me a little bit more about it. What can you tell me about the Miller Results Group? Um, well, Miller Results Group is essentially um, my husband, Joe's dream, I guess. Um, so he has worked in IT for many, many years. Um, he's also worked in HR. 
and has a couple of certifications in both, uh, actually five certifications in IT and I think two in HR. Um, And we try to marry the three components that we see as um, the backbone of a, a company working efficiently and effectively. Uh, so one of those pieces is software, you know, choosing the, the correct software and optimizing that software. So software that a company is already paying for, but potentially is only using 10 to 20% of what it actually can do mm. or buying um, duplicate types of software that do the same things. And if you can save costs by, you know, grabbing the functions of one set of software and getting rid of the other ones, that kind of thing. Um, A lot of companies don't realize that there's so much duplication. So the software is one component of that. Another component is processes. So start to finish, what do you do to complete the tasks that you need to complete in your company? Um, Third would be the personnel. Are they comfortable using the software or are they bypassing the software that you have to use Excel spreadsheets? Um, Are they comfortable um, navigating it? Are they potentially adult learners who like, I just don't get this or I don't trust it or, you know, where's my stuff going or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, So we try to, we just combine all three of those. Yeah. (laughs) You combine... What, which three? Um, so software, people, and processes. Okay. So it sounds like really the company is someone who specializes in streamlining those three things. Streamlining yeah. efficiency with the software that you have, with your personnel to make sure that they're actually using the software accordingly so that productivity remains uh, you know, in the area you want it. And again, the processes of doing all those things and in, in integrating that. So it's a you're streamlining yeah. the efficiencies of the languages of a company being personnel and IT. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So very well said. Thank you. Um, I learned from the best. Yeah. <laughs> um, so currently we uh, we have a financial services company that we're working with. Um, we also have a municipality that we're working with and, um, we have a small to mid-size, about 300 employees, um, actually it company that we're working with. And then our favorite is, um, our nonprofit that we're working with. So, yeah, so we've got our hands in a few different buckets. Um, I will say the nonprofit is the most rewarding, um, in the sense that, you know, they, I don't know, I, I like seeing the benefit go out, um, you know, to people who really need it. So yeah, that's good karma too, when you know you're yeah, helping exactly. a, an organization that's doing good. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I, you know, just want to say thank you so much for taking the time with me today. You know, I guarantee that in the near future, I will be in a restroom at an airport near you singing happy birthday two times <laughs> while I'm washing my hands between every flight. Yeah, And it's going to be, well, my friend Kelly said, 
I got to sing happy birthday twice. And, you know, seeing a, a grown man do that, I think, is a special treat for all those involved. <laughs> <laughs> you can sing it in your head. <laughs> but, yeah, I could, but I'm not really good at that. I would probably happy birthday. And people were like, oh, he's, he's mumbling. And he's, our, he's my pilot. Oh, my God. Is it yeah, safe? there you go. Are you hearing voices? <laughs> oh, yeah. man. I will, I will say that I still turn off everything in my car before I cut the engine because of you. <laughs> yes. Like I shut down. Yes. Um, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Get everything off. The air yeah. conditioner turns off. Everything turns, radio turns off. Then you shut down your car. Yeah. And why is that, Kelly? <laughs> um, so you don't overcharge anything when you turn it back on? Yeah. Or so it, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was uh, from our airplane days, right? Yeah. Yeah. Those were good. Yeah. Those were good times. Yeah. I have very, very fond memories. A couple embarrassing memories that I must admit I was guilty of being uh, younger and, uh, you know, a flight instructor young and, did you know, said and did some embarrassing things that now I look back and I go, yeah, did I actually say that? <laughs> or did I actually do that? <laughs> I, I did more. So, you know. Yeah. Well, that's part of the, that's part of the, the joy of the journey. And yeah. your journey has been, you know, quite exciting as well, you know, as part of the show that what we really are, are focusing on in this aviation podcast is the journey. So Squawk Ident, as you know, is a podcast that highlights the journey of aviators out there and how they got started, how they ended up where they are. You know, I've always been curious about, you know, how did how did you make that work? And we we kind of focus on that, but I don't want to limit this discussion of the journey just to aviators, you know, and since I have you, uh, you do have uh, quite a bit of hours in the general aviation field and, you know, you're a, an absolute professional in what you do. And your journey is very interesting to me. And I know we don't have time to kind of like dive into all the intricate details of how you became, you know, a PharmD and, and, how you ended up working at this hospital and that hospital. I have had the privilege of hearing the stories over the years. And, uh, and I've even had you tell me, you know, I must admit, uh, yeah, don't go to this particular hospital <laughs> in case anything <laughs> happens because yeah, not good. And I've always appreciated that, you know, wherever I lived, you know, if you were working in a, in a hospital here or there, I've always been very appreciative going, don't, don't come here. <laughs> have them take you over don't come here or don't go there have them take you over here you know and so yeah. any how did you get to be where you are you know your pathway what's give me like one thing that really kind of shaped your journey um i like science yeah um so i originally was a pre-vet major and then as soon as I figured out that I would have to work with large animals, namely sticking my arm up to my shoulder in a cow to, you know, help birth a calf or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I figured that that, you know, that probably wasn't for me, mainly because I'm not big enough to handle a cow or a gelding or, you know, any large animal that's kind of misbehaving or otherwise, you know, freaking out for some reason. Right. Um, but you have to do that to get to the small animals. So my next option that I, I can't say I thought a whole lot about it. My mom is a pharmacist. So that was kind of the 
the natural progression. Um, so I transferred from what was at the time Iowa State, went to Drake, got a bachelor's in pharmacy, um, which was the the starting degree at the time. Now they only offer the PharmD. Then Joe and I got engaged. We moved to Phoenix, which is where he went to school. And then um, I I got a job in hospital pharmacy down in Phoenix. Um, always preferred that to any other aspect of pharmacy, uh, mm-hmm. just because you you learn more, you use more of your degree, you it's just more interesting in in my perspective. Um, so then it was just, okay, I've mastered this part. Let's move on to this part. Okay. I've mastered that too. Now let's move on to this part. And there were just different areas that I wanted to kind of taste test. Um, once we, we used to have two big golden retrievers and once they died off of natural causes, um, then we decided that we wanted to leave the desert go to the ocean and, you know, and just kind of hang out there for a while. So that's how we ended up in Florida. Um, then I was offered a position with a prestigious, uh, university teaching hospital up in North Carolina. So we moved up there, um, spent about five years there and, uh, it was a great experience. Um, excellent experience. It was also extremely stressful. You get the sickest of the sick. You get, um, it's almost, I, I worked in the OR most of the time. So it, it was very fast paced, um, questions coming at you from all different directions. They could be about literally anything and they needed the answers essentially right now. So after about five years of that, it kind of takes its toll. And I thought, no, Joe wants to start this company. Um, we want to make a lifestyle change and we want to be able to work from anywhere. So that's where the IT comes in because you can literally dial in and you can work from anywhere. We, yeah. You can Skype, you can Zoom, you can remote into somebody's system and fix whatever problem they're having or build out you know, whatever solution they need. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how that got started. And we came back down here because we wanted to live by the ocean. And so we're, we're building this company now. Excellent. And, you know, I wish you and Joe absolutely the very best in your success with your company. If there's anything I could ever do to help you guys out, I'm a phone call away. Um, You know, and it sounds like the interesting part of your journey is not unlike what an aviator goes through when they're trying to you know, constantly be looking for what's next. Um, you know, you start mm-hmm. out, you're a, you, you decide to go after this career, you know, you start out as a, you go to flight school and, you know, flight instruct and whatever, whatever path you take, whether that's military, uh, and then you progress over to general aviation or you start in general aviation and you progress over to airlines, you're constantly looking forward. You're constantly mm-hmm. looking what's next. And that really, from what I'm learning, uh, by producing this podcast and, and getting to talk to all these amazing people is there's a common thread and it's always looking forward, not settling into your comfortable position because you get to know it, you get to do it well and you get comfortable. And that degree of comfort has always made me personally nervous. Cause I think yeah. 
you know, because I'm always working as you know me. I mean, I'm always doing something, you know, and here I am yeah. now, you know, doing the podcast. So, you know, <laughs> always right, moving forward. Right. And I applaud you for your journey. It sounds like it's been very successful. You've had a very good journey so far. And mm -hmm. I'm very curious to see yeah, how it all turns out here. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, again, thank you. Thank you for, for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure to get your take and your expertise on what's really going on with this virus and how scared and how much panic should we have, which it sounds to me, and I think you'd agree, it's that mm -hmm. everything's going to be okay. We just have to practice good hygiene, not overreact. If you are in contact or if you do find yourself with symptoms that possibly could be a little bit more than a flu or a, a, a cold, then yep. go get Seek checked medical out. medical attention. Yeah. yeah. Go to urgent care. Go to your doctor. Go do something. Yeah. Um, and it's great. So again, Kelly, thank you. Thank you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to say thank you to Kelly Miller for spending the time to explain the facts about the 2019 NCOV or the novel coronavirus, and the best practices we all can use to stay healthy. I would also encourage you to check out the Miller Results Group website at millerresults.com. I will place a link in the show notes so uh, you can click right there. You can also find them on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Just search for Miller Results. If you would like to learn more about what the Miller Results Group can do for your business, you can email them at info at millerresults.com. Make sure you tell them that you heard about them from Aviator Tony and the Squawk Ident Podcast. Again, a big thank you to Kelly and Joe for their support of Squawk Ident. Are you enjoying Squawk Ident? Please visit our website at www.aviatortony.com. Com. That's Alpha, Victor, the number eight, Romeo, Tango, Oscar, November, Yankee.com. There you can check out episode cover art, episode archives, the pilot shop, and you can leave listener feedback. You can contribute to the show and help with equipment, software, marketing expenses by becoming a producer of Squawk Ident, either with a one-time or a monthly contribution. Now you can leave us up to 90 seconds of audio feedback under the contact us tab from the website as well. If you have more to say, just record anything you want on your phone or recording device and email it to me as an MP3 and I'll be sure to give it a listen and put it on the show. Are you listening on Apple Podcasts to the Squawk Ident show? Well, if you like what you hear, it would be really great if you could leave us a like uh, leave us a good review, and even share the show with someone you might think might enjoy Squawk Ident. In closing, I'd like to just say thank you for taking the time to listen to this grateful aviator. Keep the dirty side down, be safe, and take care of each other. Squawk Ident.